This episode of the Policy Viz podcast is brought to you by the Maryland Institute College of Art. MICA's online graduate program in information visualization trains designers and analysts to translate data into compelling visual narratives. Join expert faculty such as Andy Kirk, Marissa Peacock, and John Schwabish to mine the data and design the story. For more information, go to mica.edu backslash MPS InVis. Welcome back to the Policy Viz Podcast. I'm your host, John Schwabish. Thanks so much for tuning in. I have a very special episode this week with four guests to talk about open data and whether we can do a better job of opening data to more and more people. So what I want to do is have each uh, each one of my guests sort of introduce themselves quickly, and then we're going to jump right in because this is going to be an experiment of how many people you can fit on a podcast at one time and whether listeners can identify each of those voices over the course of 30 minutes. Um, so why don't we start with David? David, you want to introduce yourself? Hi, yeah. So I'm David Eads. I'm a data reporter and a web builder at NPR. Uh, and I think since it's relevant here, I've also been a federal contractor. I helped start a community technology program called Free Geek Chicago. Um, and I'm also an original founder of an organization called the Invisible Institute, which uh, actually just broke the story about Laquan McDonald, the police shooting in Chicago. Great. Second guess is Chris Wong. Chris? Hi. I'm a New York City-based civic hacker, open data enthusiast, and um, yeah, just basically a, a you know, web developer, technologist, someone who hacks with a lot of open data. Um, have a you know background in urban planning and, uh, and GIS and cartography, so I'm... Uh, you know, kind of always dabbling with things, uh, especially in the location and, you know, place-based uh, analysis. Um, so that's uh, that's me. Great. Great. And third, Sharon Paley from Johns Hopkins. Yeah, hi. Um, I guess I'm the one with the most distinguishable voice today. Uh, <laughs> Sharon Paley, I'm the Deputy Director of um, Johns Hopkins University Center for Government Excellence, which provides hands-on technical assistance, online curriculum, and resources for governments to uh, leverage data to better improve the lives of their residents, as well as improve internal decision-making and policy creation. I am the co-founder of Hack Baltimore, which is a nonprofit platform for where the public can assist Baltimore and the state of Maryland and other jurisdictions in creating solutions to civic problems. And I am a gubernatorial appointee to the Maryland State Council on Open Data. Great. And last but not least, we have Andrew Nebus. Hi. Uh, so that's something to follow. Um, <laughs> I've been in government for about 20 years as a city CIO, a, uh, a statewide uh, agency uh, technologist, a federal contractor, and a major city police department CIO. Um, and I've focused on data both internally and externally and making it accessible to both populations. So this topic is of huge interest to me. Great. Well, thanks everyone for uh, coming on the show. So let's uh, start by how this, by all, how all of us got together. So this all sort of started with a comment I made on Twitter following a, a talk I gave at the Socratic Customer Conference. And specifically, I was talking about how open data in general needs to move from a world in which open data are, are not just machine readable, but they're, but they're human readable. And what I was talking about in that talk was showing examples of, of a lot of these different platforms where Data are open. They're in platforms like Socrata, like OpenGov, uh, even Tableau. 
Uh, but they're not really readable for sort of your average everyday person who may want to find out how long it's going to take for them to commute to work or uh, how they can improve parking around around their cities. Um, and this sort of five of us were sort of uh, talking for a while. So I want to start there and, and move on. So I guess the first question really is, is my assessment correct that open data needs to move from needs to become more human readable for sort of the everyday average person who just wants to know more about their cities or their or their lives. So I'll, I'll, I'll jump in because I think I might have been one of the first to respond to it. Or, you know, I think my my perspective on all of this is that, um, you know, open data by and large, you know, does become human readable. Uh, it just takes a few extra steps. Um, and we see that everywhere. We see, you know, the transit apps in our pocket and we see uh, open data making its way into into you know newspaper articles and things like that, um, but all of these are byproducts of the open data uh, source. You know, so my my argument here, and I'll make the analogy of uh, of like housing, is that if you you know if you wanted everyone to to have a house and you're giving away free lumber, um, you know there's there's a there's a missing step there, right? You need the yeah. you need a subject matter expert um, that is is going to take that that raw material and turn it into a finished product. Um, and then deliver it to, I guess you know, a, a, a less technical audience. All right, so that's that's my analogy, I guess, for open data is that you know by I think we're we are polluting the um, we're polluting the you know the the kind of the subject of open data with charts and dashboards and things um, because all these I think get in the way of of raw access to data. And it's not to say that they're bad things or that they shouldn't be there. I'm not saying it should not be the role of government to to provide these things to to you know a, a normal citizen, mm-hmm. um, but that should be a very different objective and a very different policy and a very different um, uh, business activity uh, than publishing of raw data. That's that's my point. So I mean I, I don't I guess I don't as strongly disagree with uh, Chris as I did when he was uh, when we were fighting it out on Twitter or whatever. <laughs> um, but uh, but I think there is a really important role uh, for government. To not just um, publish quality raw data for people who know how to use that, but I think that there's an obligation for government to also make that data comprehensible and consumable by uh, the people that they represent and who you know pay their salaries in effect mm-hmm. and give them their jobs and are, they're ultimately responsible to. Um, and we can't just put out raw data because um, there are definitely people who are on this uh, podcast who do great jobs of, you know, visualizing that data and making that data um, comprehensible through apps and other ways. But I think that um, those things tend to be very hard to discover. So it's better if government can at the front end um, do work kind of like we see coming out of LA now with their data portal where there is available visualizations, uh, maps, things like uh, open checkbook applications. So that average Joe citizen, which I would consider myself because I'm not really a technical person, can go in and see what my tax money is being spent on, what services are being delivered. Um, The raw data needs to be there for journalists and for advocacy groups and other people to leverage and vet what the government is saying. But I think the government has a responsibility to, in its effort to be transparent, to sort of present their content in a way that's consumable for everybody. 
At the risk of being boring um, and and not disagreeing, I, I have to say, you know, I, I think the question, the the framing of of should open data be human readable? Yes, absolutely. Right. Um, I don't. I really don't think there's there's a lot of question about that. If you if you care about transparency and democracy and accountability. Um, I think really fundamentally the question is about tactics and ecosystem and and how we achieve that, right? So, you know, we do live in a world that's profoundly unequal um, where, you know, where people who are barely literate or, or illiterate are, are sort of bumping up against the same government systems that, you know, people with college educations, you know, in, in affluent kind of economic situations are bumping up against. So... You know, I, I really think that we need to think about sort of a, a build with philosophy. Lauren Allen McCann is uh, somebody from D.C. Who, who thinks really hard about about sort of civic technology, and she has this framing that, that you need to build with. And so, like, if you're a government agency and you're providing an online service, like, yeah, you need your data to be human readable, absolutely. But similarly, building with, I think, if you're dealing with sort of bulk data, does mean good documentation, well-named variables, stable URLs. So, so you know, there's different kinds of building with around open data. And, you know, I, th- I think part of my jumping into the conversation was that government so often does fail at, you know, just kind of the basics of providing raw data. Um, from a journalist standpoint, that it can be easy to kind of see something like, oh, well, we need to make more data visualization or we need to make more user interfaces around data that government's providing. As a journalist, it's sort of like, well, just give me good data. Right. I'm not getting that now in a lot of cases. But back to Chris's point, which I think is an interesting point, which is, is it important to allow anyone to be able to use the data as easily as possible? Or should there be some barrier so that people are forced to be more thoughtful and careful with it. Sure, if I could actually jump in. Yeah. Um, so I somewhat disagree. I don't, I, with the initial point, I don't think it's bad that we get to a point where we make it very easily accessible to everyone. But I think part of it is we need to rip off the Band-Aid and say, it's not easy and accessible inside a government as well. <laughs> you know, uh, uh, Analysts inside don't have this great source. In fact, there are, there are times when some of the best cases in, in open data is the internal government users start to, oh, I have access to this now. I, I can use this either as an API or I can just get a list of accounts that I could never get before. Right. Somewhat ridiculous. So that conversation and that sharing that, hey, we spent a lot of time making a great open data portal and visualizations for the public. No, no, we, we also did that internally. So, you know, a law enforcement officer or someone in the health department or in finance can see what the heck is going on better. And that, I think, is really powerful. And during the White House Police Data Initiative, Montgomery County Police did training not just externally, but internally to officers who can then use the portal themselves to find out more about what's going on in crime, which, again, you think, hey, they have this already. Well, they don't always have this already. So, you know, showing it's raw, hey, this is a schema that looks weird. I don't know what this field is actually used for. That's useful in the conversation. Now, we should get to the point where it's human readable both in and outside of government, but we're not there yet, and I think that's okay. So do you all feel that the discussion around open data focuses uh, perhaps too much on government and on getting data out to the public where there should be 
uh, at least more of the conversation should focus on sort of opening data within organizations. Sharon, yeah. let, me, let me start with you since I have a feeling like Hack Baltimore sort of that might be one of the things you guys work on. Yeah, well, actually, at the at the Center for Government Excellence, you know, um, we kind of have this maturity model that we talk to uh, our our client governments about, where open data is the first step in it, and exactly for the reason that Andrew was talking about, because then we want to be able to have um, cities look across their cities or states or whatever look across their verticals um, and kind of de-silo data so that we can then go through and like look for uh, you know do data analysis and improve efficiency and service delivery and do things like you know performance management and mm-hmm predictive analytics and all this other stuff, which is really cool that, you know, governments are trying to start to do. Um, But you can't do it until you're at least liberating the data to yourself. Um, So I think there's like a distinction in what we mean by open. Mm -hmm. I actually think that from my experience in Hack Baltimore, you know, it, the I think the conversation tends to fall a little more toward why the public should be able to have access to this information and transparency being important um, and like all the work that this people like the Sunlight Foundation go out and, and do and um, gin up a lot of interest right. in open data for that reason. I think there's like a lot less focus on it for, you know, the reasons that Andrew was talking about, um, which is kind of a shame because I think that's really the like holy grail of of open data, you know, is this ability to actually just like raise the the tide for everybody because government just works better in the end. Mm -hmm. So Andrew, maybe this is a question for you. So from an organizational perspective, what what makes a good open data policy? And then once that data is out there, um, Chris, when you're working with these open data sets, is there a conversation that's useful to have with uh, the folks who are producing the data, or or is it just sort of like we're gonna? There's some structure. We have an open data portal. We're gonna put the data out there, and now we'll just let everybody sort of go do their thing. So, Andrew, let me, let me start with you about whether you think there is a, a way to make a good open data policy. Yeah. Well, so I guess I'm uh, a little radical sometimes in government by thinking more of what should we not be able to share and participate, either internally or externally. Obviously, there's some internal. Uh, uh, use cases where like, look, I'm not going to share this uh, suspect information or such in law enforcement or, you know, some specific health risk or, or analysis. Uh, but in general, let's start with default open and go backwards. It's sort of a shame that we've been talking about opening government for so long and systems are still not designed with that as default so that the the public, other agencies, other research organizations can't participate collaboratively. But so to a degree, uh, yeah, what can't we open? But it's important that we bring those people to the table, right? We can't just open up the health department's records and, oh, this field that says um, low income, well, what does that even mean, you know, to anyone? And and what it means to me might be very different than what it means to you. So it's sort of hard. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think if we started from scratch, it'd be great to be all open and even discussing our uh, system development, but we're, we're just not there. So I think start small and just engage the community and share, you know, as you go along and open more and more up. So, okay. So what about this engaging with the community, Chris, when you're, when you're doing your, um, your projects with open data in New York city, are you engaging with 
the data producers or is it they've given out the data and that's sort of the end of the conversation from their perspective? So, I mean, by and large, I, I, I mean, these days I'm much more in the business of going out and scraping whatever I need um, from some better source than what ends up on the data portal. Um, just because my my experience um, here is that, you know, I think in, especially in New York and any city that's of a, of a certain size, uh, you're going to lose something when you when you start centralizing the open data program, right? So, um, and not not only centralizing the program, but actually centralizing the like movement of data into into a common place. Uh, I think that's a shortfall of, of 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 the open data portal as we've come to know it uh, in a lot of major cities. Is that you know it now becomes this chore, right? That that agencies must be in compliance. It's now a law. It's been legislated. Um, it's a thing you have to do. It's just one more thing you have to do when you have a hundred other things to do. Um, so, you know, unless you really have a champion or somebody who really is behind it and is willing to stand up and say, I'm, I'm going to take responsibility for these data sets. Um, you know, it's already one step removed from the producer, at least maybe it's more than one step removed if, you know, if it's in a very deep agency. Um, so my, you know, my, my philosophy is that, you know, it should, it should live as close to home as possible. Um, and it really should be a celebration of, of that agency or even that sub, you know, subgroup within the agency to be uh, publishing that data, not, not you know, a mayoral initiative. Uh, whoever's listed as the, as the uh, point of contact on the data set on the portal is either not accessible, not responsive. You know, they're supposed to, you're, you know, basically all complaints end up being routed through the central program and, um, you know, they don't have a, a great track record for responding to requests and things like that. It, it is a lot to manage, and that's why I think a distributed approach would be better. Mm-hmm. David, from your perspective as a journalist, do you have the same sort of relationship with the providers of the data? Pretty similar. Um, I do want to talk actually about a scraper that I worked on, but but yeah, it's pretty similar to, to what Chris described. I, I appreciate the centralization of data and data portals, but as a journalist, you know, a lot of the interesting stuff is, is sort of hanging out in the margins, needs to be scraped or, or otherwise kind of sought out and, and found. And it would be great if all of that could go in, you know, centralized data portals, I think. It would also be great if there were, you know, if, if agencies were able to publish that data themselves more effectively. One thing, I, you know, speaking of the interplay of kind of internal to government, external actors, other agencies, I worked on a project where we scraped data about Cook County Jail, the biggest jail in the country. And it was really interesting because our primary user was other agencies within the county because the sheriff's department didn't provide the raw data to them, uh, to the other agencies. They only provided summary information. And so these other agencies within the county actually really wanted, you know, to be able to analyze it themselves and, and, and just see what was going on beyond kind of what they were getting from the sheriff's department. What was interesting about that project was that that then in turn put pressure on the sheriff's department to open the data. It's not open yet, but there's now an initiative underway to actually do that. And it was interesting because we all got together and we talked and, and, you know, it's tough to open data like that because there's records that are wrong Mm -hmm. and you could compromise somebody's privacy. Like, you know, it's all a matter of public record technically, but there's a lot of really interesting questions about what it actually means then to open up that data. And the last part, which I thought was really interesting about that project was we had some real hotshot coders on it, but we also had a guy who was bipolar, uh, quasi-homeless, or at least sporadically homeless, trying to teach himself to code, but he had a lot of issues, a lot of barriers to doing that. You know, he definitely, you know, is on the, the... the harder part of kind of our society and but he wound up being an awesome collaborator because he actually spent a lot of time 
in Cook County Jail. And and he was a subject matter. He truly was a subject matter expert. He was like, oh, well, that person has that designation because they checked in, they went to the main room, and they got an ankle bracelet, and they got sent back out onto the street. Um, And he knew that just looking at the data, and we were like, dude. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Like, like, we're understanding so much more about what we're seeing just because you have this direct experience so it, it was just an interesting kind of experience and kind of bringing together a bunch of those different perspectives. And I thought it was going to be really antagonistic. And the sheriff's department was awesome. They were really into it. They were like, you're collecting stuff that, that we don't have because our backend systems are kind of right, not right. the best. So It's like important to note people who work inside of government, they're not just being cagey for the sense of being yeah. cagey about open data. They're not hiding things because uh, they don't want people to know things. Um, they really are well-intentioned. They're really usually handcuffed by the technology that they work with. Um, and I I actually would sort of, maybe this is where I'll argue with Chris, where I think like that strong policy is an opportunity to start to like unshackle government employees. And, and things like um, having a policy that mandates that there is good governance of open data. So um, like I sit on the governance committee for the state of Maryland and I'm just a a citizen that's interested in open data, but I sit in a room full of people who own data and they're scattered through every agency and department of the state, but they make us all get together every other month and have a conversation about like what's happening, what needs to be changed in this policy, what what data has been released but not like refreshed for, you know, a year and it's supposed to be refreshed every month. And by just throwing everyone in a room together, you know, like you get a lot of problem solved and you make a lot of, you know, which is kind of what you're talking about also with the hackathon. Mm. But if you think about internal governance as as being an opportunity to um, like flesh out those problems and not make it a, an experience of like one person to a website, then I think that rules like that in policies or you know, executive orders can do a lot to advance what open data looks like for for everyone on the like user side too. Mm-hmm. I agree with that and say that it is you know it's putting the word in people's mouths. You know, people are talking about it. People know what it is. Um, you know, like I said, I don't I don't think it's the I think it's how it's implemented is going to is going to dictate quality, right? And like what I said is that it, it's. The fact that the policy exists and you must publish data is not a terrible thing. It's just that, you know, how does it? How do we actually go about publishing it? You know, is it a chore? Is it a checklist item? Or is it actually? Or, you know, is is this policy eventually going to to lead to um, that real you know change in attitudes where you know it's not like oh damn this is something I have to do to keep in compliance with the law, but you know yeah we we actually believe in open by default and this is what we're going to enforce in our agency. Like I don't think we're there yet in a lot of ways, and you know I've just from my own, my own, you know, dealings with with government agencies. I know that the, you know they still have to sign giant long memorandums to to share little bits of data, and you know when it does get shared, it gets shared via email as you know CSVs flying around, um, things like that. Mm-hmm. I'd agree with that, and I think you know the the role for open data officers and such in government is to be that facilitator. I've been on initiatives where agencies will be will show up and say, "I was ordered to release this. What do I need to do? Give me the schema." I'm like, "Oh well." That's nice. I don't even know what you have or what you'd want to share or how you'd want to collaborate, but let's talk about why this is good for your business process. 
Uh, and hopefully by the end, they, they're on board with that as well with the idea that, oh, you know, I, I can get a lot of value out of this conversation with the public uh, or with other agencies or with, you know, all these different groups. Uh, but you're right. If it's just a release this schema by this date in this format with these fields, you're good. You sort of get into that that industrialized open data, which I think we're, we're against. And then the schemas are almost meaningless because you don't know what someone might have or might want to share. There's agencies in Texas that share suspects information, which I was like, oh, I, I wouldn't think you'd want to share the suspect because you haven't arrested them. So that's a little weird to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's interesting how different people take different takes on what they can open or what they're willing to talk about. And I think that's sort of the good point about having a conversational and not so checkbox policy. So I think in the beginning, it's that weird space where don't over governance, but don't under either. Mm -hmm. So as with most things, there's no one sort of silver bullet to solve a problem or or create a solution. But if you were to start, uh, if you had your imaginary city and you were um, going to say, we're going to have an open data policy and open data platform, what would be the one thing that you would start with? Is it about funding? Is it about leadership? Is it about uh, convincing the folks who are working with the data that you know, there's there's value as opposed to just opening it. What is the what is the one thing that you would sort of start with in your imaginary uh, data rich city? Uh, Sharon, I'll start with you. Okay. Well, j- uh, just like a shameless self promotion. Uh, We're the, all about shameless self promotion. The Center for Government Excellence actually has a playbook on like how to launch an open data program. Um, and so people that are interested in this could just like go read it. We really talk about um, structuring a program that is about like team gathering, policy creation, community engagement, and continuous improvement. So that's not a silver bullet. That's like a list of four things, obviously. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But they're all pretty critical. And policy creation usually does rely on some sort of executive level buy-in. But I think that the most important thing, and it sounds like we kind of agree, is like the continuous improvement. So that doesn't really help you get started because you have to start with something, you know, there's lots of ways to like figure out what something is. We would recommend data inventories and prioritization and things like that, uh, which we also have playbooks on. But I think that the most important thing is continuous improvement. It's not a box to check, like Andrew said. Open data is not an end in and of itself. It's got to be a, a practice that's advanced all the time, like like anything else that government does. Right. So I would I would take the you know from the technologist perspective again. I think open data is a technical problem. Um, it requires technical people to 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 figure out um, the, all the byproducts of it are not technical and, and lead to better government and more informed citizenry. But at the root of the problem is moving data from point A to point B in a timely manner with a certain standard. I think I would start with like sort of the Amazon mandate where everything is an API. When you build every piece of government, whether it's creating laws or, or you know, running the roads or, or building a transit system or whatever it is, every information system needs to have accessibility built in from the ground up. Uh, doesn't mean it needs to be 100% open, but it needs to have, you know, the options of, you know, giving people certain permissions um, and a, a distributed but very well-structured and very well-organized, uh, you know, technology platform for, for moving information around on demand at will, you know, for whoever needs it and wants it at a given time is, is foundational to all of this. I think the, the byproduct of, like, turning a, turning a table into an API, um, which is what, you know, many open data portals do, 
it's, it's, a, it's a great technological leap, but it's only as good as the table that came in. What I'm saying is we've, we've got to get closer access to the source and then uh, our quality will be much better and our timeliness will be much better. I just want to know how you pay for that, Chris, because you can't have, you know, everything is an API that's really aspirational and great, but I think Andrew could speak even more accurately than me about what, you know, how, like, of, like, 90% of governments, 90% of their data is, like, an Excel spreadsheet. Yeah. So <laughs> there is, like, a huge technical problem, right? And it needs money to solve it. And the truth of the matter is that, like, if we went out on the street and we pulled 100 people, like, what do you want your tax dollars going toward? Unless they ran into you, Chris, no one's going to say they want it going into open data technology, I don't think. Um, they would all say APIs, I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> no, I think that's I think that's a great point. I mean, it's the story I always tell about the imaginary uh, person at the Census Bureau who's asked to create an open data portal, and it's not like they're given more training or more funding or more staff. They're just asked to do it. So, to many of the point to the points that many of you have made, it's not like all of a sudden you just say do this thing and everybody sort of knows how to do it magically, right? So, Andrew, let me, since you got to introduce yourself last, let me give you sort of the last word here. Um, what is your uh, silver bullet? Although, you know, Sharon had four, so I'll, I'll give you I'll give you a few. So. <laughs> sure. Well, so mine actually is 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 that leadership, right? So I have been in government for quite a while, and and often I'm the person who's to say, well, why isn't this open by default? Uh, I was with a a large metropolitan police department. And the idea to share some charts based on use of force and officer-involved shootings came up. Um, and I said, well, why don't we just publish the data openly? We have the system. We, we track X, Y, and Z. We could wire it up. We could do some visualizations and help with that. And we did. And actually, it was kind of bizarre because it almost went unnoticed until large events happened in that city. So having leaders like me, not to toot my own horn, but to just internally <laughs> start changing that, so by the time it gets to the public's eye, we're already doing that. We're going that way. We're thinking about that. We want that. Uh, so that, you know, in itself really pays dividends. Uh, budget and funds is always important, but hopefully a good leader can balance and transition that and get us off these systems, which, boy, I would have killed for Excel in some cases because uh, at least I could do something with that. But there are there are departments with very, very, very old uh, applications that you cannot get data out unless you pay a vendor a lot of money. And that's actually far worse than, you know, just an old system. Uh, so my civil bullet is, is quality leadership. Well, on that um, somewhat depressing note, no, it's not a depressing note. It's a, it's a good note. There's lots of challenges. It gives uh, folks like us things to do and talk about. I want to thank all of you for coming on. This is um, super interesting. We'll, we'll do it again, I think. Um, I'll find something else for us to fight about, and we'll try to get you all arguing. Um, so uh, thanks, David, Chris, Sharon, and Andrew for coming on the show. Um, and for those of you listening, thanks a lot for tuning into the show. Uh, please rate the show on iTunes, and if you have comments about this or other episodes, please hit me up on Twitter or on the website. And thanks again, and until next time, this has been the Policy of This Podcast. This episode of the Policy Viz podcast is brought to you by the Maryland Institute College of Art. 
MICA's online graduate program in information visualization trains designers and analysts to translate data into compelling visual narratives. Join expert faculty such as Andy Kirk, Marissa Peacock, and John Schwabish to mine the data and design the story. For more information, go to mica.edu backslash mpsinviz.